Well, in Esther chapter 9, we have a message called Celebrating the Feast of Purim. Now, in previous messages, I said Purim, and I was corrected. It's actually Purim or Purim. And it was celebrated not that many weeks ago as a remembrance of what happened in the book of Esther, how God turned things around using Mordecai and Esther. We're going to examine the Feast of Purim today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. So in the book of Esther, in chapter 9, we read these words. This is verse 20, Esther 9, 20. Then Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews, Esther 9, 20, who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to celebrate the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same month, Annually. Now, Mordecai recorded the events and then he sent letters to instruct the people about the holiday. Now, if you think about the word holiday, it actually is a, a combination of words. It's holy and day. So even though I know in, the, in previous years when Christians have been, you know, uh, we've kind of joked and, and sometimes it's been serious that people get weird about saying Merry Christmas and we've, we'd go into a store and they'd say, Happy Holidays. And we, and we might say, oh, that's a bit of a cop out. You know, the real Jesus is the reason for the season. But, you know, I've, I've said to you guys in the past, and if you're new, I'll just remind you that to say Happy Holidays is another way of saying Happy Holy Days <laughs> because that's the word. It simply means holy day. A holiday, or more specifically, a holy day, has a beginning point. There's some reason why it started. There's some reason why that date or those dates were set apart for people to commemorate an event. Uh, in America, we have holy days or holidays, and we can think of the big ones right off the bat, right? We, we know that we're in the spring, and so what are we coming to? We're coming to Easter. And Easter, we might say, is Resurrection Sunday, but we know that the culture calls it Easter. And you may be surprised at how many people don't even know what Easter is about. You'd be surprised how many people you could talk to, and they don't even know that the central meaning of that weekend of Good Friday leading into Easter is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for, you know, the Christian calendar, if I can put it that way, there's some major things that we celebrate. And, you know, as we move on in the year, we can think of Thanksgiving, and then we think of Christmas, and we can think of the reason why these holy days or holidays are celebrated. But wouldn't you agree with me that if we were to really examine our culture and maybe even some of our family celebrations, even as Christians, we'd have to admit that oftentimes the vertical aspect of many holidays is, is conspicuous by his absence, right? Sometimes we gather with family and maybe there's a mixed multitude. Maybe you're a Christian and other families are not, or maybe you're new to all of this and, 
and all this food's been prepared and people come to a certain home in the family and it's, you know, it's the obligatory prayer time, right? And uh, so now, are we gonna pray? Well, it is Thanksgiving after all. Maybe we should pray. Maybe we should thank God, right? So people circle up, but they don't want the prayer to be too long because those mashed potatoes and the goodness of the gravy is coming into your nostrils. You're like, I can't wait. Make it short. And then they get one of the little kids to pray. You know, thank you, God, for my fork and my napkin and my little puppy. And they go down the whole list, right? Or... You know, you have an evangelist in the family and they pray over the meal and then with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if there's anybody here who has not met the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And they, they go into a gospel invitation and the whole thing. Woo! Praise God. <laughs> Whatever you got to do, however the Lord leads you, right? I had the privilege of uh, having a family member come to Christ just a few hours ago and uh, open his heart for the first time. God's, God's always doing miracles in people's lives. And so um, this concept of holiday. So for the Jews, they have seven feasts that move from the spring to the fall. And so we are coming to what we call the spring feast. And we have the feast of Passover, the feast of unleavened bread, and the feast of first fruits. All basically happened in a weekend in, the, in our spring all look back to the first coming of Jesus. He died on Passover, buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, rose on the Feast of First Fruits. You move just a, a 50 days from First Fruits and you get to the fourth feast, which is the Feast of Pentecost, right? And so we know that's when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, and uh, that was 50 days after First Fruits. And remember, Jesus was ministering uh, about the kingdom of God for 40 days after the resurrection. And then he told the disciples to wait 10 days in Jerusalem, and then the Spirit would fall upon them. Well, the Spirit came 50 days after the Feast of first fruits on the day of Pentecost, according to God's calendar. See, God has a calendar. They didn't pray the Holy Spirit down, per se. The Holy Spirit came on the Feast of Pentecost because that was God's calendar. So he said, you wait. You wait till you, you're endowed with power from on high, and the Holy Spirit came in fulfillment of the feast. Now, there are three fall feasts yet to be fulfilled, in my view. The Feast of Trumpets, you have uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then you have Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is looking forward to the time when God will tabernacle among his people, when Jesus will come again but it also recalls God's presence with Israel in the wilderness. So these holy days or holidays can look back and look forward, and that's what holidays can do for us as well. We can look back at God's blessings. We can look forward to future blessings. Now, of the seven feasts of Israel that are recorded in Scripture, there's two additional feasts that would bring us to nine. One is called the Feast of Hanukkah, which happens in the time between Malachi and Matthew in the intertestamental period. And so that's the time when the Jews had, uh, didn't have enough oil, but the oil uh, you know, it, it stayed lit, the candelabra, and they were able to defeat those who were trying to desecrate the temple, and they cleansed the temple, and that's the Feast of Hanukkah. And the ninth one is what's before us, the Feast of Purim, which is in the spring. I was in Israel in 2006, and just about a year ago, 
And when I was, the first time I was there, we were there at the Feast of Purim, and we approached the Western Wall, where you can see on television often the Jews are there in their yarmulkes, and they're reading their prayer books and praying. And they're praying for the nation, and, and they're doing that. And so we were there for the first time, me and a buddy of mine, and we were a little hesitant to approach the wall because we wanted to make sure we did everything correctly. And we met a young man who was from New York, and he was visiting Israel, and he had been on a three-day fast in honor of uh, the Book of Esther or Purim. And I don't think it was a mandatory fast, but he was there. And we, we asked him, hey, is it cool if we approach the wall? And he said, if you come in peace, you are more than welcome. And so we went up there, and you can stick a prayer request inside the Western Wall uh, ask God to, you could pray for somebody, and then there's, there's probably, I don't know, there must be tens of thousands of prayer requests stuck into the Western Wall. It's really interesting. And so this is a major holiday. Now, if you Google the Feast of Purim, you will see in Israel, people are clothed in, uh, you know, costumes. They're, they dress in all kinds of, you know, royal regalia. Some of them are dressed like clowns. And they just dress up, and it's a very festive holiday. But there was a season in Israel, because remember, Israel just became a nation again in 1948, when they returned to the land, but they were still reeling from the Holocaust. Certainly understandable. I read this week that in the Holocaust, one-third of the Jewish population was killed. One-third of the Jewish population of the world was killed in the Holocaust. When you have a holiday that's supposed to be joyous and celebratory, and yet you're coming off the heels of something so devastating. Uh, there would be Jews that you could talk to today, and they would say, we celebrate Purim, we celebrate this holiday in the book of Esther, but, but largely it's a horizontal holiday because there's a lot of people that don't believe in God. They may be agnostic, they may be atheist, but they, they are suffering and reeling from deep questions about where is God in these terrible times. And can you imagine being a Jewish person, living for months and months under the evil decree of Haman, thinking that your whole family may be killed, and to have that lifted by a counter decree, and be able to fight for your life and survive. That's what's happened. That's where we are in the book. And now, once the peace has come, once the enemies of Israel have been dealt with, once they have achieved rest, they celebrate. Um, this is uh, in many places of your Bible, but I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus for a second. The second book of the Old Testament, chapter 15, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt with God's mighty hand. He's done 10 plagues. He's opened the Red Sea with the blast of his nostrils, and he's blocked the way of the Egyptians. Uh, and then he opens up the sea, probably more than a million people cross, and then the sea closes on the Egyptian army, and they're all destroyed. Do you know where they, uh, they believe the Red Sea crossing has occurred? And some people think it's the Reed Sea, but they have found chariot, chariot wheels underneath on the bottom of the Red Sea, they can't move them, but there's coral that's grown on them. They have chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea where the crossing happened. How'd they get down there? I'd submit to you that the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea, just like the Bible says. There's actually pictures that Ron Wyatt and his team 
uh, have taken of these chariot wheels underneath at the bottom of the ocean. They can't move them for a number of different reasons, but they're there. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. But largely it's a horizontal holiday because there's a lot of people that don't believe in God. They may be agnostic, they may be atheist, but they, they are suffering and reeling from deep questions about where is God in these terrible times. And can you imagine being a Jewish person living for months and months under the evil decree of Haman, thinking that your whole family may be killed and to have that lifted by a counter decree and be able to fight for your life and survive? That's what's happened. That's where we are in the book. And now, once the peace has come, once the enemies of Israel have been dealt with, once they have achieved rest, they celebrate. Um, this is uh, in many places of your Bible, but I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus for a second. The second book of the Old Testament, chapter 15, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt with God's mighty hand. He's done 10 plagues. He's opened the Red Sea with the blast of his nostrils, and he's blocked the way of the Egyptians. Uh, and then he opens up the sea, probably more than a million people cross And then the sea closes on the Egyptian army, and they're all destroyed. Do you know where they they believe the Red Sea crossing has occurred? And some people think it's the Reed Sea, but they have found chariot, chariot wheels underneath on the bottom of the Red Sea. They can't move them, but there's coral that's grown on them. They have chariot wheels at the bottom of the Red Sea where the crossing happened. How'd they get down there? I'd submit to you that the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea, just like the Bible says. There's actually pictures that Ron Wyatt and his team uh, have taken of these chariot wheels underneath at the bottom of the ocean. They can't move them for a number of different reasons, but they're there. Now, after that occurred, here's what happens. Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will extol him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his armor he 
his army, he cast into the sea. And the choicest of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down in the depths like a stone. Thy right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now, in many holidays, what would happen is that songs would become associated with the holiday. In fact, the book of Psalms is the songbook for Israel during the festivals. And there are particular psalms that are sung at particular feasts. For example, Psalm 118 is sung during the Passover season. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Actually looks to the day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday. And so the 150 psalms within your Bible are actually the hymnal for Israel. And they will sing different songs from the songbook. Psalms are songs. And oftentimes when you're reading through the psalms, you'll see a heading This was set to the music of this, and sometimes there would be music of the day that the words were put to by the psalmist into the the musical uh, uh, notes and so forth. So it's just interesting to think about that this is uh, Israel's history. In the book of Judges, they sing after a victory. It says, Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, Judges 5, 1, that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, and they said, bless the Lord. By the way, we ask God to bless us, but you can bless him as well. You bless him by speaking well of him. It's the idea of giving him the praise due his name when you bless his holy name. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers, to the Lord. I will sing, I will sing praises to the Lord, the God of Israel. Can I just say to you, give you a challenge. When you don't sing, when you don't participate in worship, when you, maybe your excuse is I'm not much of a singer or I may, maybe I'm not into the music, but you miss something of your Christian life because singing is the natural um, outgrowth of a heart that's full of joy. Uh, there should be music in your heart. We are to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs making melody in our heart to the Lord. And so I think if you have a song in your heart, if you have worship playing in your car, instead of maybe the usual stuff that people take in, you will find that it will change your countenance. It will change your attitude. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Something happens when we praise the Lord. If you're still in Exodus, turn to chapter 12. As we look at the uh, Passover, the first spring feast I mentioned to you. This is chapter 39, uh, and it's telling the story of the institution of the Passover holiday. And they baked 1239 of Exodus, the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Now the time that the sons of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came about at the end of 430 years to the very day that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed for the Lord. For having brought them out from the land of Egypt, this night is for the Lord. Think of holiday. It's to be observed. The Hebrew root is shamar. We're to watch out for it, to remember by all the sons of Israel. What's your Bible say? Throughout 
their generations. All Israel throughout every generation is to remember this night. Flip over to Exodus 13. Look at verse 8. And you shall tell your son on that day, saying, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Why is this night different from all others, the child says to the parent on Passover? And the, the parent says, we celebrate this way. We have what we have on the table. We read the scriptures we read. We pray the prayers that we pray because the Lord brought us out of slavery with a mighty hand. Now remember that the Passover is a picture of your salvation because Egypt is a type of the world. Pharaoh is a type or a symbol of Satan. The children of Israel were in bondage to the taskmasters, a type of sin, a picture of sin. They came out. They had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. God passed over with a mighty hand, and he did not judge any household where he saw the blood. Uh, they put the blood on the doorpost and on the lentil. Some believe you could see the sign of the cross there as they painted the blood. And God says, when I see the blood of the lamb, I will not judge that house. By the way, ancient covenants were made at the door. When a husband carries his bride over a threshold, it's kind of officiating or symbolizing, uh, making official or symbolizing the covenant. Covenants made at the threshold. God says, paint the blood on the door. And if you're behind the blood of the lamb, then you will not suffer my wrath or judgment. But if I don't see the blood, the firstborn is going to die. Every time Israel celebrates the Passover, year in and year out with the Seder meal and the celebrations and the scripture readings, it is all to commemorate. We need to remember because we can so quickly forget. If you've ever read Abraham Lincoln's uh, Thanksgiving proclamation, which I think was uh, printed and signed in 1863. There he asks America to have a national day of Thanksgiving in November. And he says, look, maybe what we're going through as a nation right now is because we have forgotten God. I would encourage you to read Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation as he challenges America not to forget God not to become so enamored with our, uh, you know, success and prosperity that we forget the God who made us what we are. In fact, I would argue, as you look at the history of America, there is no explanation of America without the mighty hand of God. America is an imperfect nation, I know. I understand that we have some history that's not so pretty, but... America was founded on biblical values with a heart of people who wanted to be free to worship their God. And so back in Esther chapter 9, just before the book of Job, if you're just getting to it, Mordecai records the events that took place. This is Esther 9 verse 20. And recording uh, events, as you, you'll note, you know, in the book there's a uh, the record of the king's chronicles. That's how he find out, finds out Mordecai was the one that saved him. There's a lot of emphasis on written records and, you know, getting records out by courier. But Mordecai, Esther 9.20, recorded these events. Now, what did he record? Well, look at verse 17 of the same section. This was done, this uh, defense of their lives by the Jews, on the 13th day of the month of Adar, 
Esther 9.17. And on the 14th day, they rested and made it a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews who were in Susa, that's the capital, assembled on the 13th day and the 14th of the same month, and they rested on the 15th. They had to fight for two days a day and made it a day of feasting, notice, and rejoicing. You know, there are many times in Scripture where we see God instruct his people to set something up as a memorial. It could be a date, but it's also something like memorial stones in the book of Joshua to mark a spot where something incredible happened. And that's really what Mordecai is doing in recording these events. He's recording them to remember and for future generations so that we never forget, and really so that we never forget God's grace and how he has delivered us from sin and death. That's why we celebrate communion uh, regularly in our churches, so that we don't ever forget. We can be a forgetful people, and we need to remember. Now, from this, the holiday, the Feast of Purim is born. As we've been telling you about, we'll dig more into that as we continue in this great book. Well, friend, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. Thanks so much for listening to Walk in Truth. We are pleased to be a resource to you in growing your faith and your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We do have an online store with a variety of resources. We have books, DVDs, CDs, many different topics, answering questions, apologetics teachings, all there for you and for Christian and non-believer alike to check out. So you can check out our store when you visit walkintruth.com. Just click on the store tab and that'll take you right there. Well, tomorrow we continue in chapter 9 of the book of Esther, looking at the Feast of Purim. Until then, may God richly bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.